your Bibles to Numbers chapter 16. We're going to start here. We will be here for just a little bit, get some background, and then we'll switch over to the New Testament for a little while. Uh, I'll apologize to uh, Mrs. Miss Janet right now. It's not a short message tonight. Well, it might be short by some people's uh, definition, but this is probably about three messages worth of Sean's messages, so I, I really don't know how long it's going to be, but hopefully you get something out of it. Uh, Numbers chapter 16, and uh, why don't we begin reading here, and, and oh, here's the topic, so where are we going? Uh, Josiah says, I have the longest titles, I'm sorry, but... Uh, I guess that's how my mind works. But the question we're answering tonight is how to learn to be content in a world without contentment. How do you do that? And that's where we're going to look at. We're going to springboard out of Numbers and then we'll get to Philippians here. All right. Numbers chapter 16, verse 1 says this. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and Om, the son of Peleth, the sons of Reuben, took men, and they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore, then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. They're going against the men of God right now. And when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face, and he spake unto Korah and all, unto all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show you who are his, and who is holy, and will cause him to come near unto him. Even him whom he hath chosen will he cause to come near unto him. This do take ye censers, Korah and all his company, and put fire therein, and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord doth choose, he shall be holy. Ye take too much upon you, ye sons of Levi. And Moses said unto Korah, Korah Hear, I pray you, you sons of Levi. Seemeth it but a small thing unto you that, God, that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them. And he hath brought thee near to him and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee, and seek ye the priesthood also, for which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that ye murmur against him? Now, with that context in mind, I'm throwing this out here. We're looking at contentment. In our passage we just read, did you, uh, did you get the feeling that Korah is not content? Did you feel it? Did you sense it? He's not satisfied right now. Korah was not content where God had him in his life, and so he started spreading that discontentment, and he brought 250 others with him, and they started rising up against the men of God. Now turn over to Numbers chapter 4 for a minute. It's very important to understand who Korah was and who he was the son of. Right? Numbers chapter 4. Let 
don't know if I can get there with my fingers. Let's see here. Numbers chapter 4 and verse 4 says this. This shall be the service of the sons of Kohath. Korah is a son of Kohath. And it says here, In the tabernacle of the combination about the most holy things, these men have jobs. The sons of Kohath have jobs. Now fast forward to verse 15 of chapter 4. This is their job. And when Aaron and his sons have made an end of the covering of the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary, as that, excuse me, as the camp is set to set forward, after that the sons of Kohath, of which Korah is, shall come to bear it. But they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. These things are the burden of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation. This man, Korah, had a job given and called by God to carry burdens in the tabernacle. God had a plan for him already in place. Son of Korah, Koath, you're going to be my servant in the house of God and you're going to lift burdens. He was God called to that position. Still not satisfied. Not happy with it. That's why Moses said, you want the priesthood too? He was vying for that position that wasn't his. I argue he lacked contentment in his life. And that's what we're going to look at. I'm going to springboard a little bit. Most of you understand the end of Korah's life. What happened? I'll paraphrase for a little bit. In Numbers chapter 16, verse 25 through 35, the account is this. God created a great divine, swallowed Korah up. Not just him. His family went with him. You understand? Contentment, or let me rephrase, lack of contentment can spread and infect you and infect your family. And eventually, all 250 were killed. Okay? That's the context I want you to think about of how bad it really can get if you do not learn to be content. Now, How do we seemingly check these uncontrolled bursts of discontentment in our life? Anybody felt discontent? In the world we live in, everything is vying for our attention. Flashing lights, bells, whistles, news, social media, all this stuff, right? Anything and everything is trying to drive at our contentment to discontent you, right? So how do, we, how do we deal with this? Well, let's take some notes from uh, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul says this, Philippians 4.11, Not that I speak in respect of, respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. It is a process. You don't all of a sudden check off the box and you're content for the rest of your life. It is a daily battle. What do I mean by being content? Let's define it. Let's keep it simple. It literally means quiet, not disturbed. Having a mind at peace. Easy, satisfied. Having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. 
First Timothy 6. Hmm. Contentment. How do we get that in our life? We're going to draw some things out of. Turn over to Philippians chapter 4 if you didn't turn there already. Contentment. How do we learn to be content in a world without contentment? This contentment that we're supposed to have, boy, it will surely be influenced by what we dwell on. Uh, what do you think about? What constantly has your mind running? Um, what do you expose? What, do, what does Sean expose himself to? Uh, I argue that the answer to these questions, boy, they, they matter greatly. Look at Korah. Let's take some notes from him. Understand what happened to him and his lack of contentment. The things we dwell on matter. It'll lead to, it'll influence our behaviors, our actions, and our emotions. They're all connected. About, it'll all have an effect on our contentment. Uh, think about this before we get into Philippians 4 verse 8. Think about advertisements. What are advertisements designed to do? They want you to not be happy with the iPhone 600, and they come out with the iPhone 601 the next month, so you go buy 601. I fall prey to it too, right? It, 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 it's by design. It's to get you to, ooh, shiny. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, I smell it. It's new. Ooh, I gotta have it, right? That discontentment, if you're not careful, boy, it'll get you. And you might be over somewhere where you're not supposed to be. Or spending too much time on something you're not supposed to be spending time with, right? That's what I'm talking about. The things you dwell on will drive behavior. So let's look at Philippians 4, verse 8. I argue this is a list. It's not an exhaustive one. But I think if we do what the Word of God says, it says dwell on these things. I think if we dwell on these eight things listed in, in, in Philippians uh, 4, verse 8, I think it will help us. So let's read it real quick. Philippians 4, verse 8 says this. Finally, brethren. Boy, we're talking to Christian folk here. Whatsoever things are true. Whatsoever things are honest. Whatsoever things are just. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are lovely. Whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So let's look at them. We're going to break them down. We're going to look at each one of these things. And what can we learn about it, right? And well, let me put this little disclaimer out here. Brother Daniel, is it not easier to preach the message than to live it? Right? It is. I, I need this message too. Okay? This is for Sean too. Alright? I struggle with this myself. Alright, so, let's look at this list. First one, we need to dwell on, to help with our contentment, things that are true. Boy, what does true mean? It means this, and I have more than necessary, but I'll read some of the definition here. It's genuine, it's pure, it's real. Things that are true are not counterfeit, uh, they're not false. Um, 
let's see here. The continuation of the, uh, of the definition is this. Um, well, let me rephrase here. It's conformable to fact, right? As opposed to falsehood. Things that are true. We need to dwell on those things. So let me ask you this. Where do you get your information? It matters. The information that you use to make decisions, where do you get it? It can have life-altering effect. What is your source of truth? It matters. Um, here's three areas you could draw. There's many. But here's three areas I thought of that some people draw, quote-unquote, truth from. Many people in this world draw truth from self. They decide, I will determine what's true or not. I will use myself as my source of truth. I caution you. Hold your place in Philippians. Go to Proverbs chapter 14 real quick. We could use self, but uh, you better be careful. The Bible kind of warns us about some things about self. Somebody probably has this quoted. I can quote it right now. I know Mitch is phenomenal at quoting scripture. I wish I was like him. But uh, uh, Proverbs fourteen twelve says this. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man. Here's the man that trusteth in himself. But the end thereof are the ways of death. Ooh, so there's a caution here. The word of God tells us we have to be careful. If we're only seeking truth from self, at some point we're going to fall. We're going to mess up. So you could use self for a source of truth. What's another one? Many people do this. Well, what, what does culture say is acceptable today? Let's just follow that. Let's just follow culture. Turn over to Romans chapter 12. What, is, what does God have to say about that? There's many verses we could turn to, but here's the one I thought of. A caution against that. You know, we, could go to, we can go to self for truth. We can we could try to use culture for truth. Romans 12.2 says this, And be not conformed to this world. There's our culture, the world. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Boy, two real strong cautions about trusting self and about trusting the world. Or you could use this. How about Scripture? You could use Scripture for your source of truth. 2 Timothy 3.16. Turn there real quick. Second Timothy 3.16 says this of Scripture. And there's many verses we could go to. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. What's the difference between the three things that I just pointed out? I said you could go to self, you could go to culture, or you could go to Scripture. There's... One big difference between Scripture and self and culture. Do you know what self and culture do? I heard it. It changes. It forever changes. This never does. 
the Word of God never changes. We all need truth. Truth is foundational to how you make decisions in life. If we don't have truth, you know what happens? We end up operating outside of truth and we live in falsehoods and pretend world. We deceive ourselves. We get lost in the sea of endless waves of the latest hype, the latest culture, the woke, whatever. The next. It just keeps going on and on and on. How can you be content if the source of information you go to never is consistent. You will never be content. Ever. Ever. The source of our truth has to be Scripture. It comes from God. You encounter something in life. doesn't matter what it is. You're like, oh, I've, I never thought about that before. Is this right or not? God gives us this book to help us. To, oh, you know what? When I read my Bible, it doesn't sound like that's good. It doesn't always happen that way, right? We fight it sometimes, don't we? If you're like me, like, well, but I really like this. It could be, could be good. You understand me? But the Bible is very clear on some things, right? This is our guidebook. This is our, our way to filter the world. If it's good, if it lines up with Scripture, boy, you can trust that source of information. Oh, Put that in my bank of truth. I can make decisions off that. But if it doesn't line up, get rid of it. Okay? Again, first one. What should we dwell on to help us with our contentment? Things that are true. So simple, but yet we fail to do this. (laughs) True. Dwell on those things that are true. And the next one. Whatsoever things are honest... It goes right hand in hand with that truth. What does honest mean? It means upright, just, fair in dealing with others. Free from trickishness. I like that. It was pretty neat. That was out of Webster's. Trickishness. Um, Free of fraud. Um, Let's see. Fair, just, uh, frank, sincere, um, good. 2 Corinthians 8.21, providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. When we operate in truth, if you have truth, you then can live honestly, can't you? Until you have truth, how can you live honest? Because you don't know what true is, right? They go hand in hand. If we never search for truth in things we encounter and we just accept whatever, willy-nilly, whatever comes our way, boy, that's dangerous. We will become prey to incorrect thinking. Our judgment to make decisions will be skewed by the source of information we're using. It can be a dangerous place. Korah, he probably sincerely felt he was doing the will of God, going against the man of God. Dangerous, right? He was deceived by his own thinking. All right. We're going through this list of eight things, right? Again, not an exhaustive list. How do we learn to be content? I argue if we focus on some of these things, incorporate these into our lives, we can start learning to be content. What are some of the things that are true? What sort of things are honest? Next one, just, right? It means regular, orderly, um, exactly proportioned. It's proper. 
Uh, it's full, it's true, um, complete to the common standard. In a moral sense, it's upright, it's honest, it's having principles or conforming exactly to the laws. Boy, there is a lot of injustice in our world, is there not? Lots of injustice. If you focus on the injustice, it will affect the heart. It will affect the mind. It will get you angry. It will get you mad. Now, sometimes there is a point in time where you be angry and sin not. But what I'm getting at is if we're not careful to focus on our God who is just, we'll focus on all the problems, right? And it will affect us. Note this. You look out in the world and you see a lot of injustice. And it might bother you. And it might frustrate you. Like it does me. Okay? There, mandates get to me. Okay? I, they really get to me. And I have to be careful. Right? Um, if I focus on that, it might cause me to be discontent. Right? Um, something to take away. God according to his word, is a just, holy God. He is taking note of every injustice, every wrong he knows. He's God. He's all-powerful. He knows. When you see unjust acts, and it seems like they're not being dealt with, trust me, his word says he will deal with it. Whether it's while we yet have breath, or it's after we have breath, he's going to deal with it. There will will come a day of reckoning. He's a sovereign God. He is in complete control. We can trust in that. We can trust in a just God. We can dwell that justice will come. Right? All right. Next one. Pure. See, we're getting to our list. It's not too bad. We're getting there. Whatsoever things are pure. What does that mean? Uh, It means free from moral defilement. Those things that are without spot. Uh, it means genuine. It means true. Hey, there's that word again. Uh, as in pure religion. Uh, unmixed. Free from guilt. Guiltless. Innocent. Uh, James one twenty seven says this. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. For me personally, when I think of things that are pure and how can Sean dwell on things that are pure and, and incorporate this in his life, my mind goes this way. I think of motives. What's my motive behind what I do? Is my motive rightly placed as to why I'm doing whatever it is? Um, whether it's preaching, whether it's Um, helping a a brother or sister in the church, whether it's um, um, doing something for my wife, whether it's, you name it. What is my motive behind it? Is it pleasing to God? Are my motives pure? If you seem to struggle with the motives... It could be a perfectly sinless activity, a good activity, but the motive 
you keep realizing, man, my motive is still wrong. This is a good thing to do, but every time I go to do it, my motive is wrong. Do you know what you might have to do? Is stop doing that activity for a little bit. You might have to stop. You might have to quit because you can't have the right motive. And if after a little while you refrain from that and you still can't deal with it, it might be something you have to give up altogether. It could be nothing sinful. But the balance is off. Your motives are wrong. Whatsoever things are pure. Again, this is not an exhaustive list. And I'm telling you, I struggle with every one of them. Okay? Whatsoever things are lovely. What does that mean? Things that uh, excite love. Possessing qualities which invite affection. The example given out of Webster's was this. Uh, Saul and Jonathan were lovely towards each other. They had a loving friendship, right? Um, they cared for one another. They were pleasant to each other. They, they had a care for each other. That was the example in Webster's. Um, I lost my place here. Here we go. Um, here's from Song of Solomon. This is of a spouse speaking of their beloved. His mouth is most sweet. Yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. What are some things lovely that we can dwell on? Um, if you have family, you could dwell on the blessings God has given you through your family. Um, your husband, your wife, your kids, um, extended family, whatever. Surely, they invite your affection, do they not? They, your heart aches for them. You love them. Those are things we can dwell on in this life of discontentment. You go out there, boy, everything's going to attack that contentment, that satisfaction in your life. Let's dwell on the good things God has given us, right? Things that are lovely. All right. Next one. Not too much more and we'll be done. Things that are of good, that are of good report. What does that mean? Well, let's look at report first and then we'll define a little more. To report, it means to bear or bring back an answer. To give an account, to relate, to tell. It could be a good report. It could be a bad report. It's just, excuse me, you're reporting back information. Good, bad, or ugly. But the scripture says, let's look at the good report. How about Hebrews 11, verse 1 and 2? Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. For by it, faith, the elders obtained a good report. Good report. Let me throw out two words. Uh, I'll three. Social media and news. What comes to mind? Good report? No. If all we're doing is consuming lots and lots of doom, gloom, death, destruction, 
We have no beds left. We're all going to die. Unless we get everyone vaccinated, we're all going to die. Every single day. I work in the healthcare industry. Our infection preventionists, I get emails every day just inundated by them. Death, gloom, and woe, death, gloom, and woe, death, gloom, and low, and it's just constant. You dwell on that, it's going to affect the heart. Thank God we have an all-powerful God who already knows. He's fully capable. It's His creation. He can do with it whatever He wants. If He wants Corona, He'll send it. I'm not saying just live free and do whatever. I'm saying check those sources of information. Be careful what you dwell on. Maybe check in and say, oh, okay, yep, 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 yep. Okay, now I, can, I have enough information to make a decision. Don't dwell on any more of it. Don't consume it and just let it absorb you. It will have an effect on your heart. What are some things of good report you can dwell on? Well, the Bible says works of faith. We can ponder on the day we got saved. We can ponder on the day we got baptized. We can ponder on milestones in our family, birthdays, uh, good things, testimonies, blessings. This one, I I, I really appreciate our pastor and the message he he preached the other day on, on the vaccine. I'm going to put this out there. I don't care which side of the aisle you're on. You could be for vaccine. You could be anti-vaccine, for mandate, whatever. However, I caution brethren, you and I, this is what I don't want you and I to do. What do you think the devil wants us to do? Fight. I'm an anti-vaccineer. No, I'm a vaccineer. Well, you ain't the will of God. and All this stuff. You think I'm kidding? That stuff's on social media. You'll read Christians attacking other Christians out there. Shame on us. All while the neighbor's going to hell. Never hearing the gospel because we're so focused on this thing. The devil's got us right where he wants us. He's already won. I'm just throwing it out there. Be careful what you dwell on. Where your source of information is, right? How about this one? Any virtue. Virtue is always one of those words that in, intrigues me. It's, just, it's a neat word. Virtue. Moral goodness. It's the practice of moral duties. It's abstaining from vice or a, a conformity of life. Conforming to moral law. Uh, it's said virtue is nothing but voluntary obedience to truth. What did Brother Jacob say? Simple. Let's just obey God. It all comes down to obedience, truly. (laughs) And are we willing to do it? Uh, Virtue. What are some virtuous things um, that we can dwell on? Oh, well, this is one of my favorite parts of it. Sorry. There's a fancy word for what this definition is. Acting power. It says virtue is acting power. Something efficacious. I was like, wow, that is a buzzword. Efficacious means this. It means effectual, producing an effect. 
Virtue is literally morals in action. It's you doing those things God wants you to do. The moral things. Fulfilling those things. What do I have to think about uh, uh, virtues? When I think of virtues, um, I think of, wow, I, I have a long ways to go. But I do know there are some examples in my life that I look up to. There's men and women in this church that I'm like, wow, I hope I am like that when I'm their age. I hope I can uh, live my life like they do. They're an example to me, right? Um, think about someone that maybe you look up to. Do they, I, I, I argue you probably look up to them because they are exemplifying some virtues that you admire, Right? What are some virtues? Charity, humbleness, compassion, um, slow to anger, faithfulness. The Word of God says, dwell on those things. Right? Dwell on the virtues. How about this one? Boy, and if there be any praise. We're almost done. What about praising? It means commendation bestowed on a person or his personal virtues or worthy actions. See how they build on each other? Isn't that great how the Word of God does that? Uh, Praise may be expressed by an individual or it can be corporately, such as we all when we come here to worship God. Um, It's an expression of gratitude. Praise can be Um, The object, in our case, God. He is thy praise, and he is thy God. Deuteronomy 10. How about this verse? By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Hebrews 13.15 I have nothing to praise in this life. Well, that tells me where your heart is. I've been there. I've had bad days too. And I'm like, man, this day's terrible. You know? Here's some things. Be careful. <laughs> you can praise yourself. People do it all the time. Um, I've done it. It's selfish. It's not scriptural. Be careful. Or you can give praise to others when they do commendable things. You could, uh, for example, praise your kids when they do a job well done to reaffirm good behavior. Those are all good things to praise. Most importantly, though, Christian, we best be giving praise to our God. To the one who saved us from a sinner's hell. Our praise should go to him. So as I'm closing and wrapping up, and Brother Jacobs, I'll probably turn it over here to you in just a minute. Are you having trouble finding things to praise about these days? It can be hard, especially in what you see out there. I'm reminded of the song, Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One. You might have to literally do it if you find yourself in the depths of despair and you're down. We live in Alaska. Creation is just screaming at us everywhere. Um, we live in a beautiful state. Praise Him for it. 
you woke up alive and not dead. Praise him for it. Um, yeah, can you wake up dead? Yes, you can, actually. You can wake up in hell. And in hell, he lift up his eyes. Oh, man. I don't want to be here. I wouldn't want to be there. That's a nightmare that will never end. Think about that. Never. Praise him for what he's doing in your life. Praise him uh, that you have a family. Praise him that you still have a job. Um, then that you're not laid off. Uh, praise him for safety today. Praise him that you have breath. Praise him that you still get to come to church freely and worship God. There's places in this world that cannot. I believe it was Pastor McGovern that preached. I don't remember the message it was in. But the, the, in essence, this is what he said from Matthew 10.25. It is enough for us to be disciples of Jesus Christ. That should be enough for us to live a content life. Many times I struggle with that, and I cannot say it is enough because I've let other things take over. It should be enough it doesn't matter where we are, what God does to us, through us. doesn't matter. You name it. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, it is enough. We can learn to be content with that. So let's work on changing our thinking, not by our strength, through the Word of God. This is where the power is. I believe it's in John 17, 17. Power in the Word. Or the Word of Power. I can't remember how it's word. But there's power here. Let's use Scripture to change how we think, behave, act. Let it dwell on you. Incorporate it in there. You might fail. You might have to come down to this altar and just give it over again. God, man, I did it again. I'm trying to fix this. I'm having a hard time. I need help. Please help me. All right? Nothing wrong with that. Give it to him. Over, 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 over. You just keep doing it. I argue these eight things, again, not an exhaustive list. I think these can help us. I know they can help us based on what I know this book can do. Uh, I hear countless stories of what what it does. Um, Let's focus on these things. Let's incorporate it into our lives. Let's... And think about this. If we start doing this, do you know what you're doing? You are feeding the spiritual man now. The world offers all kinds of stuff to feed your fleshly man. By by dwelling on these things, we're going to feed the spiritual man. We're going to strengthen him or her in our lives. We're going to strengthen our walk. And then we'll be less prone to be... Oh, squirrel! Nice shiny thing over here. Right? Get, all of a sudden, we're way over here. Like, how did that happen? Oh, that new car smell got me over there. <laughs> That's what happened. Funny story, but that can happen, right? Um, the world wants you not in this book. Anyway, that's what I have for tonight. I hope all, you all have some tools that you can take and put it in your, your toolbox, your tool bag, your purse, whatever you carry, you know, inside pocket. I don't know, whatever you got. Put it in somewhere. Take it with you. If you're like me, set a bunch of reminders. Ding! Oh, yes. Dwell on this. 
You think I'm kidding. I have lots of reminders. Ding! The alarm goes up. What was that alarm off for? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Why? Because Sean doesn't have much brain power. <laughs> I cannot remember stuff, but it helped. Anyway, sidetrack. Anyway, dwell on the things of God, okay? All right, I'm going to turn it over. I'm rambling. That means I've got to stop. Brother Jacob's 